I can tell you that in uh, Christian circles that I've seen, a lot has been emphasized of chastising, of God disciplining or punishing us. A lot has not been made of God child training us over the course of our lives. And so as you think of the word for child training that we see in scripture, which is very biblical, what does it emphasize? And that's why I came up with the title that you see here today. Do we overemphasize chastening or discipline from God? And do we fail to see how God is taking us from start to finish? Remember in Philippians chapter one and verse six, it says he who began a good work in you will perform it until the day of Christ Jesus. So we're on a lifelong journey, right? That started at the inception of us believing the facts of the gospel that God is going to take us to until we're perfect. Uh, I like what Brother Don went and looked at there in 1 John chapter 3. How when we see him, we will be like him because we'll see him as he is. This is something we all look forward to and anticipate. Now, Pastor Dave, I can't, can't go without using you because as we go, <laughs> as we go into his house. And I remember because Pastor Dave let us stay with him for a time when we went out to Oregon for a seminary. And as you go right into his house, he has a nice, friendly reminder. And I'm forgetting what the plaque says, Pastor Dave, but <laughs> ever, with the Lord. ever with the Lord. It's a reminder that our future is not related to what's here on this earth. It's with him. And so as you think of this process of child training or, or chastening, don't think of it as just discipline from God. Think of it as a process that he's taking you through from start to finish. I would even call it child rearing. Now, we have a lot of people in the room, I'm sure, that are parents and have been through the process of raising children from birth, where you have this crying baby, all the way to seeing them grow into adulthood, right? And there's a lot of different things that come along with raising that child from point A to point B. Now, included in that, certainly there's going to be discipline. And everyone has their different methods of how they get that child in line with doing what you want them to do. Now, I was a young man, and you guys get to see the gregarious uh, Pastor Kevin that you deal with on a daily day basis. I didn't always see that gregarious guy when I was young. <laughs> there was some, some chastening that certainly took place at certain points in my life, right? But probably more for my brothers than for me. I was a the better child. <laughs> Miss J says she, she definitely doesn't agree with it. Oh, what do you expect them to say? <laughs> but what is that? Now we're going to look in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 9, and we're going to see that God disciplines us, but it's not in the same way that earthly parents do, because at their very best, they're still subject to the flesh, right? And some of you might have realized this in your discipline, and I've been guilty of it, that sometimes it's just things about children that annoy you, right? And you're not looking out for what's best for that kid. You're looking out for what's best for you. And if we take the attitude that God is all about chastening, just like human fathers are, you might miss the mark there, right? Because his is all from love and making sure that we're getting what we need and getting from point A to point B, or point Z. And so we're going to look at that today and, and look at all the words that relate to chastening or child training 
We're going to look at a couple additional words that show those that administer child training or chastening. And we hope to give a more comprehensive understanding of how these words are utilized in scripture and how important they are to you. Now, I will acknowledge here today, I talked to Pastor Dave uh, after his uh, message last night, and it jumped out at me that that word that he utilized for adjusting would fit right in to the structure of what God is doing to child train us. And as you're doing some of these studies, you're just studying certain words. All the auxiliary words that go along with it aren't always there, right? And so as you think about it, think of that word for adjusting as well, is how God is putting us back into place. Because we're going to come to a verse in Romans uh, that talks about how God uh, set off borders for every one of us around each one of our lives, right? So we can be conformed to the image of his son. And so uh, what is he doing in disciplining? He's making sure we don't go outside of those borders when he has to uh, discipline us. But the overall thing that we need to understand about child training, getting you from point A to point B and all of the different things that go into that uh, to make it possible. So let's bow in a word of prayer uh, and we'll get started. Father, we're grateful uh, for this day, uh, grateful for the grace that you've provided us, uh, grateful for these speakers uh, and the time that they put into uh, studying to bring forth your word, uh, and grateful for all of those that are in attendance here today as well as online, uh, and the desire that they have to uh, study your word and to uh, come to a better understanding of what you want from us, and that we can uh, live lives that are glorifying and well-pleasing to you. Uh, when we'll align our minds with where we are in Christ. And so we pray that uh, this uh, conference and the time we have here to, to spend with one another, uh, not just in your word, but with the fellowship with one another, uh, would be something that as we go out from here, we're better equipped uh, to serve you. We pray all these things in your son Jesus' name. Amen. All right. And so at your notes on page one, just past the introduction, we see the words and meanings for child training or chastening. Now, I do apologize as I sent uh, the original copy over uh, to be copied and printed off. It did not convert the Greek fonts. And so you have a jumbled mess there <laughs> that you see. Uh, you probably won't be able to pronounce any of those words because they're not words. Uh, they were supposed to be Greek fonts. But the first word uh, we see is the verb uh, to chasten, which comes from the uh, Greek word paiduo. In this, uh, you can see the Freiburg definition of it, but my definition is the action of training a child to maturity, and just looking at it that way in general. Now, generally, this is the provision of, a, of guidance by a father in every necessary facet of a child's life, from birth to maturity, and preparation for success in life. So as you're uh, operating as a parent, what you're doing with that child as they're younger, you're not just going to let them go on their own, right? And just figure it out <laughs> all by yourself. It's going to be tough for that little baby to, to grow into an adult without having someone over them to show them how they're supposed to operate. And that's what you can think of uh, with reference to that word. Now, spiritually, it is the spiritual guidance of the father using situations within the life of each believer to advance to spiritual maturity. This can come in the form of spiritual discipline, but in the larger context speaks to all things utilized to bring the believer to maturity. 
And so what did we look at with that word for Pastor Dave? And that's where that aligns so well with what we're looking at here. God adjusts you where necessary, right? Where we're out of alignment with the will of God, he's able to adjust you and bring you back into uh, structure as you're supposed to be. And so we can, uh, again, I'm, if I were to come back to this study, there will probably be more words that will pop up in the future. But that's one that I would add to this. Now, chastening as a noun. We see that this emphasizes the process of bringing a kid to maturity in all facets of life and the different tools utilized. And then there is a couple of words that you should consider of people that administer uh, actual chastening. And so you have the Greek word uh, pedagogos, and you can look in our uh, English vernacular with the word pedagogue. And this one relates directly to it. And so Paul uh, viewed his position, or excuse me, <laughs> the definition there for, for me, CDJ, uh, one place in the role of responsibility for guidance of a child into maturity. And so you're not necessarily looking uh, at a father in this sense as someone that's given that uh, role of getting a person where they're supposed to be. And then lastly, we see the word for a corrector or a child trainer. Uh, and then the definition for me there is one naturally in a position of leading a child's maturity process. Uh, and so um, see the note there for pedagogue should have gone above that one to the other. Uh, but uh, let's look at a couple of occurrences for these last two, and then we'll get into the uses of the other words. Uh, for instructor or schoolmaster, the word for pedagogue, go with me over to 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 15. First Corinthians chapter four and verse 15. And let's pick this one up in verse uh, 10. He says there, "We are fools for Christ's sake." But you are prudent in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are distinguished, but we are without honor. To this present hour, we are both hungry and thirsty and are poorly clothed and are roughly treated and are homeless. And we toil, working with our own hands. When we are reviled, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure. When we are slandered, we try to cons uh, Consolate, conciliate, excuse me. Uh, we have become as the scum of the world, the dregs of all things, even until now. And so what is Paul doing here? He's using a little bit of irony to discuss where he is and where these Corinthian saints think them to be. And these are not on the same page or in alignment. Uh, and so in verse 14, he says, do, uh, do not write these things. I do not write these things, excuse me, to shame you but to admonish you as my beloved children. For if you were to have countless tutors in Christ, yet you uh, would not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. So what is he saying here? There's a potential that all of these other people that the Corinthians are subscribing to and listening to uh, could be pedagogues to them and instructing them in the way. But he's saying, I am your spiritual father, the one that helped you to Christ. And so uh, you see the difference here. And we're going to come back to that verse because it's going to uh, show up again in, in different ways that we uh, want to look at this word here uh, a little bit later on. Uh, 
But over in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 24, we see the law was viewed as a pedagogue for Israel to bring them to Christ. Now, Brother Don pointed out last hour uh, the certainty that individuals need to have that uh, there is a difference between law and grace, right? And understanding we are not under law. We are under grace. And grace or law was something that was utilized by God uh, to bring Israel into a right relationship with himself through Christ. Uh, but pick this up in, let's pick it up in verse 18 of chapter 3 of Galatians. And he says there, For if the inheritance is based on law, it is no longer based on a promise. But God has granted it to Abraham by means of a promise. Why the law then? It was added because of transgressions, having been uh, ordained through angels by the uh, agency of a mediator until the seed uh, should come to whom the promise was, uh, had been made. Verse 20. Now a mediator is not for a party only, whereas God is only one. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? May it never be. For if the law had been given, or excuse me, for if a law had been given, which was able to impart life, then righteousness would indeed have been based on law. Now, remember last hour, uh, Brother Don kind of talked about this idea here of in the Old Testament, they earned certain things, right? They weren't necessarily given grace uh, uh, offhand. They had to do certain things according to the law, and they were uh, extended this by God. Uh, for us, it's totally different, right? We're operating on the basis of what Christ has already done and accomplished. And so we're given uh, true grace in that sense. In verse uh, 22, it says, But the scripture has shut, uh, shut up all men under sin that the promise by uh, faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Verse 23, But before faith came, we were kept in custody under law, being shut up to faith, or to the faith, which was uh, to later be revealed. And so you see uh, the law working there as a schoolmaster uh, to show in this way uh, what God desired. In verse 24, Therefore the law has become uh, our tutor, or our pedagogue, to lead us to Christ, that we may be justified by faith. And so as he's speaking at this time, what has happened? Israel is no longer under law. These Israelites are no longer under law. And you got these people here uh, at Galatia that are trying to get other people to adhere and cooperate under law. And so Paul is saying that is not necessary anymore. We have Christ that has died been buried and rose again in order that we might be freed from the law. And if you went over the whole course of the chapter, you would, you would see that, but that's not our focus here today. Now, uh, the idea of a corrector, we see a couple of places where this is used. Uh, in Romans chapter 2 and verse 20, we see the consideration of one boasting in the law to consider themselves an instructor to the foolish, or this word uh, used here as a child trainer to those that are without wisdom. Go with me over to Romans chapter 2 and verse 20. Now we've had uh, a little bit of fun with this at our church and 
uh, looking at these first uh, three chapters of Romans and concluding the fact that all men are unrighteous, right? What, what, whatever means you utilize, whatever you're trying to use as a standard to measure righteousness, all men fall short. In chapter one, you see that uh, the Gentiles are completely unrighteous, right? And left to their own devices, they choose to be unrighteous. And then they're lost in that unrighteousness to a point where it gets out of control, right? They have certain acts at the beginning that, are, oh, that's, that's pretty bad, but it, it gets worse and worse and worse as time goes on. And so man left to their own devices, Gentiles, without God, is completely unrighteous. But don't stop there. You go to chapter 2 and you see Israel, right? They are completely unrighteous. They fall short of the standard that they're supposed to live up to as far as the law is concerned. And so as you get to chapter 3, he summarizes it. What does he say? There are none righteous. <laughs> no, not one. And unless you didn't know that from the Old Testament, it's reemphasized here. But in verse um, 20, and go back just a little bit to verse 17, he says, But if you bear the name Jew or rely upon the law and boast in God and know his will, and approve the things that are essential, being instructed out, out from the law, and are confident that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those that are in darkness. Have you ever had a conversation with someone who's really zealous <laughs> according to the law? What do they think? <laughs> they think that they're up here, <laughs> right? And the rest of you that, that don't uh, follow the law so closely, you're down here. And they can instruct you in how you're supposed to conduct yourself. This is what this is looking at. In verse 19, or excuse me, verse 20, a corrector, and there's our word, of the foolish and a teacher of the immature, having in the law, uh, or having, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and of truth. Uh, well, he's going to come to a summary here. You've, you've kind of missed the mark, right? Because you end up doing the very same things that you're chastising someone else for doing. And that's where they fall short. And you come to chapter three and see that. Um, then our other one we want to look at, and this is the one most pertinent to where we are uh, here today, is over in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse nine. And so we alluded to this in our introduction. But you see this early comparison as God the Father being our Heavenly Father. Uh, and I like, again, I'm going to give Brother Don some credit. He kind of uh, outlined this opportunity that we have to live in relationship to the Father. And uh, Pastor Dave did as well last night. That Do we often think about the fact that we are born out from God? That you're legit born ones, Right. That you're, you're not just someone who God said, oh, come on in, I'll, I'll accept you into my family, but you're not, you're not ever going to be the real version, right? That's why I have a, an issue with that word for adoption that you see in chapter 8 of Romans, right? There's adoptions that happen in America, and I did a study on this a couple weeks ago. Uh, as you look back into the Greek culture and Roman culture, adoption was a lot different than it's come to be in American culture, right? You see people that adopt people or put them into their family, but they don't ever consider them to be true parts of their family. It's always, yes, but well, we adopted them or yes, but this or that. Right. And some families do. They take take a kid in and they truly treat them like they're uh, a legitimate part of their family. But everyone doesn't do that. 
And there are some people that adopt and you can very clearly see that this is not a part of their family. That's not what happened with you and I. When we were born again, you actually received a new birth, a new identity into Christ that makes you true born ones of God. Right. We're not adopted. We've been placed as sons. If Irregardless of gender, I know everything society says right now concerning all of these things. It doesn't matter. It's about the position. It's not about a gender. And so as a son, you have been placed in a position of privilege. Every last one of you that believe the facts of the gospel. And so with that being said, we have the ability and the privilege. We've been graced to be child trained by our heavenly father, who we can call Abba, we enter into a wonderful relationship with him. Uh, and you see this specified here. And so the point of what I'm trying to make here today, I want to change the perception of discipline from God the Father. It's not a bad thing. It's God course correcting for us, getting us back where we need to be, back in line. And this is what we see here in chapter 12 of, of Romans, or excuse me, of Hebrews. Wouldn't be a day if I didn't make one mistake on where I was. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 9, and pick this one up. We're going to come back here a couple of times so we won't read too much, but pick it up in verse 7. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 7. Actually, we'll go to verse 8. He says, But if you are without discipline, and there's our word for uh, child training, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. You want to get more crude? I'm reading here from the NASB, but if you were to look in, in the uh, King James Version, what does it say there for illegitimate children? I'll let you guys say it. <laughs> go ahead, somebody. Loud, proud. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Now, this word has come to be so taboo in today's culture because we have a culture of political correctness. But I'm going to tell you, in the day when I didn't live, back in the past, it was frowned upon for you not to know who your father was. Right? And if you have been without child training, you are considered to be illegitimate. Right? This is a very important thing. We partake in child training from God, and it doesn't just have to do with discipline. It has to do with him from getting you to point A or from point A to point B. And he's getting you on the direction and a path that he desires for you to be on. And that can include discipline. It's not a bad thing. Verse nine. Furthermore, we have had earthly fathers to discipline or child train us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more rather be in subject to the father of spirits and live? You know, <laughs> I pointed it out there and I'm not going to pick on my father. I'll pick on myself. <laughs> there are times you come home from work. You've had a long day and kids are kids are kids, right? They're going to do all kinds of crazy things. And sometimes you overreact a bit to their actions and you're not taking in mind what is best for the child in this moment. What do they need in this moment? Maybe that child needs to be able to get a lot of the energy out because they haven't been able to do it all day. Right. We fathers in the flesh are subject to our flesh. 
We're not always seeing things spiritually the way that we're supposed to. But your heavenly father, he sees things exactly how they're supposed to be. Right. When it says that he's child training us out of love, which we're going to see here in the future. It's because he wants what's best for you and he's willing to give you what you need in that moment. And it might be that at this moment you need a little bit of discipline, right, to get your attention. Sometimes as believers, we get to living and operating in this world and that's all we think of, right? We're not thinking of what's going on spiritually in heaven. It's all about what's going on down here on this earth. And God's got to nudge you back in that other direction. Sometimes he's got to nudge you a little bit harder than others, right? And we're going to see this all relates to what's going on spiritually. If you were to go back into Hebrews, and we're not going to spend the time here. I don't know if we probably have time to do that. But what's going on with these Hebrew saints? They are suffering the loss of things, and they're not handling it as well as they did initially, right? He talks about a time when they, they were thriving as far as their spiritual life and understanding that these earthly possessions are just earthly possessions. And as we lose them, it, it is what it is. We can live the Christian life even regardless of that. But now they're having a bit of trouble. They're not seeing things how they need to see them. They're not understanding. So he's going to come back in verse five and six and say, you've forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons. My son, despise not the chastening uh, from God. And so I don't want to (laughs) spoil what we have later here, probably after the break. uh, But that's what we'll look at uh, moving forward. Verse uh, 9, going further there, he said, Shall we not much rather uh, be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? Verse 10, For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness or, or be a, a partaker of his holiness. All uh, discipline uh, for a moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. And I can tell you, when I was a partaker of earthly discipline, you didn't see me smiling, right? I don't know about any of you guys, but it's, it's not fun to be disciplined, right? It's not fun to be told that you're wrong Go sit down or however, whatever your discipline looks like. I was going to do some slides uh, today. I just couldn't bring them all together of all of these different forms of discipline. Now, I've seen uh, schools. I remember when I was a kid, they used to have uh, these big paddles in the office. They never used them, but they were just there for, I guess, to scare the children into acting right. That's a form of discipline, right? I've seen parents that uh, make their kids do physical exercise until muscle failure, right? (laughs) That's a form of discipline. I've seen parents that tell their kids to go sit down on the couch, time out. That's a a form of discipline. However it is that you do it as parents, think about the father. He's utilizing situations within your life to get you back in line with where he desires you to be. And so we'll see that later again. Um, the general usage of chastening is seen in scripture. Uh, we see that child training in this word for uh, padia and paduo, the verb and the, the noun form, we'll see both of those pop up in some of these verses. Uh, but child training in the, in the general sense is rearing of children. 
And if you take nothing else out of this, I want you to remember that child training doesn't equal discipline. God, we're going to see many instances where this word is used and it's clear that it has nothing to do with disciplining you. It has to do with raising you as a child. And so it would probably be better for you to understand the general use of the word is child rearing. You're bringing a person from point A to point B as far as their, their uh, spiritual maturity. Now go back with me. I'm going to show you two instances where it really jumps out at you that this can't be. It can include uh, discipline, but it, in a general sense, it can't be just discipline. Go back with me to Acts chapter 7 and verse 22. Now we look here at Moses as he was brought up uh, from a child to adult in the uh, Egyptian culture. And you know that it has to be bigger than just discipline. Pick this one up at verse 20. Now in the context... Stephen is giving his historical narrative concerning Israel and how everything came about. (laughs) He's going to end up at the fact that they they always kill the prophets, right? That God sends to them. But more importantly here, to our point, is he includes Moses as a part of that history. And in verse 20 it says, And it was at this time that Moses was born, and he was lovely in the sight of God, and he was nurtured three months in his father's home. And after he had been exposed, Pharaoh's daughter took him away and nurtured him as her own son. And so here, clearly, this is about Pharaoh's daughter and how she's bringing him up, right? Doesn't say anything about whooping little Moses. He's just a baby at this time, right? And so in verse 22, it says, And Moses was educated in all the learning of the Egyptians, And he was a man of of power in words and deeds. And so this word here uh, for educated is our word for child train. And now it's probably different if you're using the King James Version. I happen to pick up this this Bible that I don't normally use here uh, today. So pardon me as the words might be different from uh, the ones that you you currently are seeing there. But you you see with Moses, it was a, a raising thing, right? It wasn't to do with just discipline. It's bringing him uh, from a young baby to adulthood. In verse 24, and when he saw, uh, excuse me, verse 23, it says, but uh, when he was approaching the age of 40, it entered his mind to visit his brethren uh, and the sons of Israel. And so you see here a time period, right? From baby to my age now, 40, (laughs) of, of Moses, right? It spanned 40 years of being brought up and nurtured in the culture of the Egyptians. And so he very well understood what it meant to be an Egyptian when he went back to him uh, in the future. Uh, but that had to do with his child training. Now, in verse, uh, chapter 22 and verse 3, we see something similar with Paul. And Paul was brought up from a child to adult in the Jewish religion. Go with me over to chapter 22 of Acts. Acts chapter 22, and we'll pick it up at verse 1. Now, how are you guys keeping track of time? That, that clock is a little too far away <laughs> for me. 12.05, 12 okay. 
we got about 25 minutes. All right. Pick it, pick it up in verse 1. It says, Brethren uh, and fathers, hear my defense, which I now offer to you. So remember, Paul is, is in prison right now, and he's giving uh, his defense. And here's what he says in verse 2. And when they had heard that he was addressing them in Hebrew, or the Hebrew dialect, they became even the more quiet and said, or, and he said, I am a Jew born of Tarsus of Cilicia, brought up in, uh, in this city, educated under Gamaliel, strictly according to the law of our fathers, being zealous for God, just as you, and, um, excuse me, you all are today. I went one page ahead. Uh, and I persecuted this way to the death, binding and putting both men and women in prison. Uh, but this word here, I'm missing it on verse 3. Um, doo -doo 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 -doo. Brought up in this city. And so you see the idea of being uh, raised in this city, right? And so everybody in this room is, is from different places around the country. We have Oregon represented here today. We've got uh, Delaware back there at the back of the house. We've got Puerto Rico. <laughs> We've got all kinds of places where people are from. We've got Ohio there at <laughs> the front city. Um, everybody is raised in a different area. And there's different things that are, are pertinent to those areas where you are raised that uh, figure into how you were brought up, right? And as you're an adult, this all plays out to the person that you are in front of you. So this is a similar way to how this word is used here. Uh, and it, it's not strictly to discipline. Now think about it. As, a, as an individual, part of your training and your upbringing are going to inevitably have to be discipline, right? You're going to have to, at certain points, inflict discipline on a kid to get them where they need to be. All kids aren't compliant. Right? They don't all want to do what you know needs to be done. But uh, that's part of this. And so as we go uh, forward a little bit, we see that child training or different child training instruments uh, that are utilized in Scripture. Now, Scripture is, is utilized as an instrument for the potential child training of an individual. Go with me over to uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. Now, I like to say with our, our church... Is, uh, the pastor has been on a mission to emphasize the reading of the Bible. And if you've heard any of our broadcasts, that's part of it, right? As we're reading uh, the, through the bulletin and, and going through these things that need to be known, we give an encouragement to read the Bible. And I say that reading the Bible is one of the most uh, important conversations or part of the conversation that you're going to have with God, Right? We always emphasize prayer as our communication to God and forget, hey, <laughs> where's the uh, other side of that conversation? And I, I put the challenge out to our church, so I guess I'll do it here. Anybody had God come down in a bodily form or heard a voice from heaven and just talk back to you in that conversation that you're having with him? You're asking him these things or you're, you're worshiping God and he says, yes, that's absolutely true what you just said there. Or you ask for this? Sure, you can have that. Well, that's not my relationship with God. As I pray to God, I read his word, and I understand the character of what his word says, and then I watch him act in life in these different situations that you come into contact with. 
And that's uh, part of the conversation. So as you're understanding that, scripture can be utilized as a, a, a point of child training. And pick this one up in uh, verse 14. And Paul is writing to Timothy here. He says, you, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them. And that from, uh, from childhood, you have known the sacred writings, or a word for scripture, which are able to give you wisdom, or the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God. Or really here, you can say, God breathed. It came directly from the mouth of God. So these uh, individuals, and I've seen a lot of them as I've uh, grown up here, that think that, oh, the Bible was just written by man. Then why read any of it? Because it says here that all scripture was breathed out from God. That means the people that wrote these uh, books or writings in, the, in, in scripture they did it because God inspired them through the Holy Spirit to do so. So these are his words, the words that he desired for us to know. All scripture is God breathed uh, right out from his mouth and profitable for what? For teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. And so you see these different elements and I will uh, thought about going a lot more deeply into that part of this, but uh, I think I pulled it back on my notes. But you see all of these other parts of child training that comes along. If you, I did actually do some of it. If you ask me nicely, I, I might give you a, <laughs> a handout on that. Um, but this, an addendum, there you go. <laughs> and it won't be at the bottom of the page in the footnotes. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, so this idea here of child training as being part of scripture, right? It can be utilized by the believer to get you to where you need to be. Why? Because it's coming from God. Now, we're going to look a little bit later when it comes to discipline. And you have the obligation as a believer first to examine yourself. And if we examine ourselves and get ourselves where we need to be, God doesn't need to do anything. Right? The problem comes into play with us when we just disregard what's going on in our lives. We don't examine what's going on with ourselves. There's no introspection that happens. We're just riding it out. And God says, hey, pay attention. I'm over here. You say, I'm going to do what I want to do. You keep going in that direction. And God says, hey, hey, wake up. And you keep going in that direction. And God has to do something more to get your attention. But it's all of grace and all of love. God is not some sadistic person sitting on high that enjoys seeing his children struggle. Some of these things are even to refine us, as we're going to see, and to make you better. Uh, but we, this is the whole point behind it. Uh, over in Titus chapter 2 and verse 12, we see that uh, the grace from God is utilized as an instrument of child training. Titus chapter 2 and verse 12. You have to forgive me, this, this Bible is very new. <laughs> so these, these pages don't want to separate. Um, and pick it up in, in verse 6. And he's going to give some exhortations here for Titus to give to others. And in verse 6, he says, Likewise, 
likewise urge the young men to be sensible in all things showing yourselves to be an example of good deeds with purity and doctrine uh, dignified sound in speech which is beyond reproach in order that the opponent may be put to shame having nothing bad to say about us uh, just a side note here um, I find it interesting with believers that we have to noise, and Pastor Dave talked about this with Walt uh, Whitman there. We noise a lot of time what we are, right? We noise what we're against, but we never show what we are, what we truly are, right? We fail to show the indwelling Christ being lived out through you because it becomes all about us and what we do and what we believe. And what he's saying here is your actions should not betray who you truly are. A lot of times we do stuff and people look at those actions and they say, (laughs) that guy, he's a Christian. Some of it comes from people having a, a faulty expectation of what a Christian should be. But a lot of times we earn these discrepancies that are put on us, right? Because we don't live it out in the way we're supposed to. We rely on our own power to live rather than the power that's been provided to us in Christ. In verse 7, excuse me, verse 8, third time, verse 9, he says, Urge bond slaves to be subject to their own masters and everything, to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, not showing all, or, or excuse me, but showing all good faith, that they may be adorned with the doctrine of God, our Savior, in every respect, for the grace from God has appeared, uh, bringing salvation to men. That's a terrible translation there, but we'll read on. Instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age. That instructing is our word for child training. And so what is the point of the grace from God? And can we say that it's a bad thing when God uh, is child training us when it comes from an aspect of his grace? We saw Brother Don established last hour that uh, grace is providing us with something that we haven't earned. And I would take it a step further. It's based upon the work of Christ, the completed work of Christ, without whom we would not be extended this grace. And so that's very important for us to understand and know. And so as you are a recipient of child training, and I would say this here, looking at the bigger aspect of it and where it applies in your life, know that it's from the grace of God that this has been given. Now, I would take issue with that to all men. There's some uh, textual problems, I believe, that occurred there that uh, would be discussed, but we don't want to get bogged down there. The spiritual uh, punishment of individuals. Now, here we do see, and I don't want to dismiss and completely take away that there is an aspect of spiritual discipline that relates to this word. Right. And we just talked about it there. You can get a little bit too far out where God has to do something to regain your attention. Right. Now, I don't know about you guys out there. (laughs) I can't speak for everyone else, but I can raise my hand. (laughs) here before you unashamedly and say, I have been a recipient (laughs) of the discipline of God. And it's not pretty, right? Sometimes we make decisions in our lives that get us out over here, right? And the only way for God to 
to get us back to where we need to be is to say, hey, you can suffer the result of the decision you made. And I'm not going to save you uh, from that decision. Now, uh, go with me over to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I was trying to decide there, did I have this wrong in the order of how I wanted to do wanted to look at them, but we'll go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11 because we've been to Hebrews chapter 12 already. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Now, at our church, what we do before we take communion is we go through this whole context, right? Because it's very important for you to be of the right mind and understanding the importance of what's going on with communion, right? You are entering into something where you're saying that I'm completely in line with where I need to be. We're all one loaf and there's nothing that's going on with me that would inhibit me at this point being part of that loaf. And so what are we doing when we say that we're part of that loaf and we've got sin going on in our lives that we're unwilling to confess? That's a problem. Right. And so what happens here? We're going to see it in this chapter. Uh, Pick it up in verse 26. He says, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whosoever eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty for the body and the blood of the Lord. What is he saying? These are the things that Christ had to come and die for. And you're saying that you're in line, you're fit together with the loaf like you're supposed to be, and you've got unconfessed sin in your life. This is what was going on with the Corinthian saints. Uh, Continue on in verse 28. He says, but let a man examine himself. This word uh, for examine has the idea of proving yourself. Put yourself to the test. The best illustration I've seen is, is with regard to gold, right? Nobody just takes gold. If someone were to come and give you gold and say, hey, this is a gold ring, you don't just take it and believe that that's a gold ring, right? You, you do some inspecting to make sure that it's real, right? And in our own lives, we have the opportunity to look at where we are and where we're supposed to be in Christ and say, do these things match up? Is, is this, is, am I in the correct place of where I'm supposed to be? Uh, and so you should be doing that prior to partaking of the table. So he says, but let a man examine himself and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks uh, and eats and drinks judges, uh, ju- eats and drinks, excuse me, judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. And so when you fail, to say, I've got this thing going on. Okay, well, God says this individual is oblivious to where he truly is. He's not truly understanding where he is. So I've got to do something to gain his attention and say, hey, (laughs) you're not in the proper place, right? It's called being real, (laughs) right? Sometimes we deceive ourselves as to where we are. We can tell ourselves we're, we're righteous, We're living in the righteousness that's in Christ. And yet you're living in your flesh. And God has to remind you, no, 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 no. This is not it. This is not what it looks like. Verse uh, 30 says, for this reason, many among you are weak and sick and a number sleep. 
And he's not talking about taking a nap on a pillow. <laughs> he's talking about sleeping the sleep of death, right? And so your obstinance to the desires and will of God can get you to a place where God has to step in and completely intervene because you're pushing up against the borders that he's marked off around your life. And that's still, I want to tell you, a thing of grace. Because where we are and who we are as people, God could gladly just let you continue on and suffer the results of everything you do in this life. Right? But he doesn't do that. He just says, and I like the illustration my dad has been given many times, uh, he would be playing out with his many brothers and sisters. He's got a lot of them, as you (laughs) you all might know. And they would be outside, and they would be acting up, right? Or maybe one of them is acting up. And what happens? Mama comes outside and says, you, (laughs) stop it, (laughs) right? Straighten up. Act right. You know what you're supposed to be doing. Go back inside and they continue on cutting up, making a mess, doing whatever they were doing. And Mama comes outside again. I told you, straighten up one more time and you're coming in the house. So a third time she goes back in the house. They're still acting up. Okay, <laughs> it's time to come inside, right? Because you refuse to do what it is that you're supposed to do. As believers, we can get to a place where we're totally obstinate, we're totally okay with where we are, even though we're living in the flesh, and say, doesn't matter that God's watching me. I don't know who that was uh, uh, last night that was talking about this idea, I think it's Pastor Dave, of this practical atheism, right? That we can get to a place where we're just totally oblivious to the fact that God is watching everything that we're doing. And I don't want to hang a burden on any believer's life. Contrary, that's what this point, the point of this paper is for. But I also don't want us to be living oblivious to the fact that we are living a life to please the Heavenly Father and that our actions should fall in line with that. Right. And so what does he say here? Some of you uh, are, are weak and some of you are sick and a number sleep. Where did the Corinthian saints get to? Some of them got to a place where they were so obstinate that they were unwilling to receive the correction of God. And he had to say, come on home. You might be here with me, but you're still one of mine. Right. And so we see that here. Verse uh, 32, it says, but when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord in order that we may uh, not be condemned with the world or along with the world. We're going to see where this falls in line with these boundaries that God has marked off around our lives. He, he allows us, and it's different, I believe, for every person, right? He allows you leeway to operate within these borders. Outside of these borders, you're unsaved. So he's going to keep you within those borders and not allow you to go outside of them. When you get too close, hey, it's like those cattle that have that electric fence, right? <laughs> they can't go outside of that electric fence, What's going to happen when they touch it? It's going to zap them so that they stay in the area where they're fed and nourished. And the the same is true of you and I. We're living a Christian life where we're nourished by God the Father and provided everything that we need to make or live a life that's well-pleasing to him. So the choice is ours as to if we're going to stay within those limits of where he is or, or for what he has set out for us. 
um, over in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 5 and verse 6, we see the believer should not respond negatively to correction. And this is actually a citation of Proverbs chapter 11 and verse 12. Uh, but turn with me over to Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 6. We'll introduce that and then we're in a break uh, here for a bit or for lunch. And I can tell you it's much easier teaching prior to lunch than it is teaching after lunch. So I'm going to ask everyone to drink some Mountain Dew or something after you, uh, after you eat your food, because I don't want everyone sleeping out there on me. <laughs> I'll try to keep it entertaining. In verse 5 of chapter 12 of Hebrews, and pick it up at verse 4. So remember, he goes back in chapter 11 and he gives all of these Old Testament examples of people that lived by faith. And they were not provided what you and I were provided. That's why he ends up saying, you and I having some better thing, right? There was something that was always being pointed to that was better than what they had in the Old Testament. Not that we're better, but that what we have is better. And so some better thing that was waiting. They accomplished these things that they accomplished being given faith to just operate without what you and I have here today. And I would say it's the complete and total indwelling of the Holy Spirit and the other persons of the Godhead. We can accomplish way more than they could in the Old Testament. So these great things that they accomplished, imagine how much greater you and I can do if we're operating out of the power of God. But in the chapter 12, in verse 4, he says, uh, well, let's go back to chapter or verse 1. He says, therefore, uh, seeing we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which does so easily entangle us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. So he's not telling you that you can do, you, 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 you can do something. He's saying you look to the example that's already been set for you and live in your position in Christ. The one that's already done it. He's done the work. <laughs> All you have to do is walk in it. And so the author and the finisher of our faith sounds like uh, Alpha and Omega beginning and ending. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. That. That term there, sat down, very important. He's not doing any more work. He's done all that he has to do. So guess what? Maybe we should follow in his example and sit down and rest in the work that he's already done. Sounds like uh, a rest word that occurs over in other parts of Hebrews. Uh, chapter, or verse 3. He says, For consider him who endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you may not grow weary and lose heart. Again, keeping in mind what's happening here with these saints. They've lost their worldly goods. They have these things going on that they're not responding, responding in the right way to. And so what does he say in verse 5? And you have forgotten the exhortation is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. 
It is for uh, it is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as sons. For what son is there whom the father uh, uh, or whom his father does not discipline? Now, and I'm going to close out with this as we think about it. We'll come back to page three. I've seen a lot of kids as I go out to stores, right? They're just running around <laughs> crazy, tearing up the stores, doing whatever they want to do, and you think. Where are the parents? <laughs> Where are they at? I heard somebody before he might be in this room that says, another child raising a parent. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> he might be over on that right side over there. <laughs> another child raising a parent. It is incumbent upon parents to show children the way, right? To show you we don't go running out in the streets. Why? Because they hate that kid? No, because the kid might run out and get hit by a car. You're protecting your child from destroying themselves. So as we think about God the Father and him disciplining us as part of his overall child training that he's doing, imagine that. He's teaching you not to do things that would be self-destructive to yourself. 